Welcome back to The Short Game. This week we're discussing the incredible indie sort of puzzle platformer action Twitch-based awesome indie game VVVVVV by Terry Cavanaugh. It's that's one six of my, V's. Yes, that's six V's. VVV, VVV. I think you left out a V. No, I totally... I'm good at this, guys. VVVVVV. We're okay, really it. excited to talk about this game. Uh, but uh, before we dive in, I am joined by my good brother, Shane Kelly. It is I. How are you doing, Shane? I'm so good, I just can't even say it. Awesome. And how are you doing there, Nate Heininger? I'm doing well. Fresh off a uh, VVVVVV victory. <laughs> the V stands for victory six times. Yes, I suppose it might. Um, I am, of course, your host, Reagan Kelly, and uh, I am uh, captaining this ship through the dimension of VVVVVV. Uh, but before we dive in and talk about the game, uh, what's everybody been up to this week? Right now, I just can't even think about that because I'm just so angry at you for finishing this game. It's ridiculous. Yes, I am really angry at Nate for finishing this game because I have played this game many Many times. I have bought it multiple times and played it on multiple different devices. You've heard this story from me before because I love this game. And I still have only ever gotten to the final level. I have never beaten the final level because there's a steep increase in in difficulty towards the end. First off, I'll say, Shane or uh, Reagan, you obviously have a problem. This is at least the third game that you've discussed that you bought across multiple platforms and never been able to finish. Well... (laughs) <laughs> That's what the show is all about. I am solving that problem. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I know. This Cave Story, um, a lot of other games I have I have owned on multiple platforms. And it's because I'm a hoarder. It's, you know, it's just how yeah. I am. Well, I don't know what to say. It was absolutely a difficult game, but uh, I don't know. I got through it. Yeah, and how long did it take you to complete? Um... The play time on there actually said about three and a half hours, but I believe I left it on for a little while. So I think probably realistically under three, maybe mm-hmm. two and a half hours. Yeah. I totaled 1,007 deaths. <laughs> I would love to. What, what is? What would that be worked out across three and a half hours? I I can do that if you give me just a moment. I'll wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, 335 deaths an hour. All right. And divided by 60? Well, I got 5.59 deaths per minute. 5.59 deaths per minute. And it is rapid fire death. (laughs) There's absolutely an element. uh, I was thinking of like Mario where you die and you feel like you can just jump right back into it and get going. And then you just die and you just die over and over. An interesting stat that I didn't expect, it didn't give me the level precisely, but I did die 74 times on one level. That was the most deaths I had on one single um, frame. Which one was that for you? You know, it didn't tell me the name of it, and that's why I was a little disappointed. It just said one frame. That's frustrating. I've seen uh, the end of the game on YouTube videos. I have not seen the end of the game in person, um, although I've gotten very close. But uh, it's usually gives you the name of the level that you have maybe i missed it on. i took a screenshot huh, because i was so because i was so proud well we're all proud of you Thank so you. we'll be discussing the game's structure and everything in depth shortly uh, and also why this level of difficulty and uh, number of deaths per minute is a bit of a theme with terry cavanaugh the developer uh, but before we 
go into too much depth. Uh, what's everybody been up to lately apart from VVVVVV? Shane? Well, I've been reading this book. Uh, it's called American Elsewhere. Basically, X-Files meets Lovecraft. It's great. Cool. And I'm drinking a great Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, this week, I really haven't had much time to play video games, uh, except for five minutes here or there to die in FTL, as we continue to do, Absolutely. I believe, all three of us. Still probably my game of the year, 2013, FTL. In my kind of non-video game gaming life, I'm preparing for a game of Paranoia. So, uh, oh, do you remember Paranoia, Reagan? I do. So, we have you ever heard of Paranoia, Nate? No. It's a role-playing game that yeah, basically takes place in the movie Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about role-playing games. Uh, it's a tabletop role-playing game where uh, you're living in a world where... The uh, it's post-apocalyptic and Naturally. the world is run by a insane computer uh, that is uh, terrified in this post-apocalyptic world of uh, communists, uh, mutants, Naturally. and traitors and uh, and combinations of the three. So you know the the omnipresent threat is the commie mutant traitor, as it still is today. Absolutely, and it has this sort of humor to it that is really unique in role-playing games because it's sort of a player versus player experience certainly you're all trying to work together to solve some mission that the computer has assigned to you but it's also to your benefit as an individual player to try to expose your your fellow players to the computer who is sort of the game master uh as commie mutant traders so oh, that it's, sounds fun it's like a role-playing game but with a competitive angle as well another weird twist is that everyone has like eight clones so uh, you can get killed off essentially at any time, uh, and they just send in a clone. Yeah, which is oh, great because you, you get to you get to kill each other in in bizarre and amusing ways. Uh, Always and, enjoyable. And of course, not only are you trying to expose the other people as commie mutant traitors, but you are in fact a commie mutant traitor yourself. Of course, naturally, uh, as is everyone. So you have a mutant ability but you can't be seen to use it or that people will know that you are a mutant uh, and you have a secret society that you are a member of uh, who has also given you a secondary mission as a part of the game but you can't be seen to be enacting that special mission uh, or you will be seen as a commie mutant traitor i think that's probably about as much as our listeners will want to hear about yeah. this yeah. weird role-playing game thank you shane for uh... yeah it's a weird role-playing game from the 80s that is awesome if you can get your hands on a copy of the books these days. Uh, we had a ton of fun with it back in the day, and I'm really pleased to hear that you're still playing it, that you've got a, a group together willing to, to sit down and try this weird 80s game. Yeah, that's the idea. It's a, it's a group of players that are uh, all fairly new to role-playing games, so... Uh, nerd. Yep. <laughs> Big nerd. Well, thank you, Shane, for bringing that up. For bringing that up and allowing Reagan to tell us all about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks, bro. It really helped me crystallize my thoughts about this game that I have played within the last five years and you have not. Oh, uh, I'm just messing. <laughs> just busting your chops. Yeah. So, Nate, what about you though? What do you? Uh, did that download ever finish? Ha. <laughs> 
Yes. So for the third <laughs> week in a row, I will talk about MLB, the show. The saga of preparing yeah. to and never actually playing a game about baseball. I'm trying to remember the name of your player. It was like Manashevitz or... Manashevitz. Uh, sir, that's Romango. Romango. Thank <laughs> you. And in fact, it's Romango Romango because Romango, he needed a Romango, first and yes. last name. Okay. Well, Romango so, Romango's doing well. He's a uh, pitcher in the uh, Seattle Mariners uh, organization, currently in Double A, working his way up. Uh, it's been good for a non-baseball person. What is Double A? Well, you know, there's major leagues, of course, and then every team has these kind of developmental leagues below it. Oh yeah. Reagan, where you know how they have play. different classification of eggs. Like there's the grade A eggs, <laughs> and then there's the grade double A eggs. Well, he's like he's like a a medium egg. Okay. Yeah, kind of like that. If those eggs were able to work really hard and be moved into higher classification of eggs, <laughs> um, so it's been fun. You know, I I don't know how everybody else feels about you know sports games, but like I said, I'm a huge fan of the any baseball game, and it's been fun. So they have the thing that I play the most is they do have. It's called Road to the Show, and it's essentially an RPG element where you play one person, that's Romango, and work your way up. So you don't play, like, each game, since I'm a pitcher, each game takes about 15 to 20 minutes, and you pitch a whole game. I'm in the AL, so I don't get to bat, so I just pitch and then collect my points. I put those points into, hey, I want my curveball to be more, uh, have more break, or I want my fastball to go faster, you know, and I put points into it. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, enjoyable experience so far? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, it's, uh, coming over to the PS4, the show series has always been very highly regarded, and I've been stuck on the Xbox series, the MLB 2K, which is an afterthought to the company, and really hasn't changed in years, and is it's been fun, but this is a whole different element with a development team that actually seems to care about it. Basically, the one on the Xbox, they lost a lot of money every year, but they were the only ones making the game for the Xbox, so they just kept essentially reskinning it and putting out a new game every year yeah, instead of switching the players out. Yep, yeah, instead of fixing bugs. So it, it, the last three have been essentially the same game. Uh, same bugs, same everything, and uh, you know, and me wanting to play baseball games, shelling out sixty bucks a time, and being like, "This is mediocre," but it's my only option. So I was glad to uh, kind of finally be able to play a franchise that actually is trying to make a good product. That's awesome. I am also playing a sports game. Um, I have, yeah, yeah. Um, I have uh, on impulse. I was walking through Target and I saw that uh, Mario Golf for the 3DS is out. <laughs> Um, does that count as a sports game oh yeah this is yeah, a hardcore that's a Mario sports game. man simulation <laughs> i think it does it's a sports simulator absolutely All right. look if you if you don't have in real golf can you shoot a fireball yes yes i'm going with yes <laughs> yes well i wouldn't know <laughs> wait people play golf for real i i have only ever played golf for real one time and it was the most awful embarrassing thing because i was playing with somebody who actually kind of was okay at golf and it was my very first time and it was just pathetic but in mario golf i'm pretty okay um so i'm really enjoying it it's uh but there there are some complaints i have about it if you haven't played a mario golf game before um all the mario sports games at least the handheld ones developed by camelot which is a great series of games uh particularly Mario Golf and Mario Tennis for the uh, Game Boy Color and um, the similar uh, games for the Game Boy Advance 
all had a sort of an RPG element to them, which was very new at the time, where you had your character and you leveled up your abilities. Um, and usually you would do that by kind of hanging out in a golf or tennis academy and playing against other students in the academy. And eventually you would, you know, move up to the upper class and then you would, um, you know, finally, as the sort of climax of the game, compete against the world's greatest golfer slash tennis player, Mario himself. Uh, and so, you know, you sort of, prog- as you play the game, you sort of progress from something that is mildly grounded in the reality of the actual game into something where it's layering on slightly more and more absurd, bizarre Mario-isms into the game until finally <laughs> you're able to do these bizarre Mario tennis moves and such. Um, which I think is a great progression because you start with this great simple game, you learn the mechanics, and then you get to do something really interesting and, and otherworldly with it. Great games. Um, Mario Golf for the 3DS has that same aspect, but I do feel like its sort of RPG mechanic has been kind of mellowed down and a little bit watered down. And I think f- the biggest problems with it is that they have replaced the sort of just stock character that you play as with you're playing now as your me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, so the RPG mechanic is is lessened because there's really not any other characters for your me to interact with, even if he could. I think Nate and I might have the same opinion on the whole me thing, given the, we, the noise you just made. <laughs> we both disgruntingly yeah. kind of sighed a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, just I think... don't like them. I don't like no. me's at all. I play Nintendo games to be Mario yeah. and be Luigi. Yeah. I, I mean, Luigi's my guy, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem with the Miis is that, you know, in most of the other games I've played as where they're, where you're playing as a Mii, there's essentially no personality to the Mii outside of the what you give the Miis face. But in this game, the Miis actually have, I wouldn't say dialogue, but the Miis have to make noise. Every time that you, um, you know, hit a great shot or you hit a really bad shot, um, there's a sort of a celebration, you know, or a, or a defeated moment where it cuts to the character that you're playing as. If you're playing in one of the sort of quick modes where you play as Peach or somebody, then that's really cute and it works because those are characters that are iconic and they have a voice that makes sense. When it cuts to a me that is ostensibly supposed to be representing me, it's it's Reagan Kelly. It's a little cartoon version of me that I designed. No wonder you hate it. It I know. <laughs> and it has the most insufferable voice. The voice, I'll put in a clip if I can, because it's it'll take me a little bit of time to get one recorded. Okay. Nice birdie. Yay! Nice par. Hi. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Nice shot. The voice sounds like the most insufferable dipshit. <laughs> it is absolutely awful. I'll hit a little thing and it does this celebration that's like and i'm like i want to murder myself i want to take this tiny little me and stab it in the eyes every time it does well or badly 
yeah. there's no way to turn off the voice. And there's no way, as far as I've told yet, to turn off these little celebrations that happen at the end of every... It's not every shot, but it's at the end of every hole. It drives me insane. That was an impressive bit of voice acting there, too. You are welcome. Give it another try, Reagan. Uh, no, I'm done. All that's, right. That's it. So um, my overall recommendation on Mario Golf is it is fun if you like the, the mechanics of the Mario Golf games, but if you like the RPG-esque um, sort of progression, uh, it doesn't really work as well as the classic Game Boy Advance version, and I would go play that version instead. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. I have actually just thought of a, uh, uh, something that I did play very recently, not since our last show, uh, that I do want to recommend to everybody. I think would be good for any player of this any listener of this show. Have you guys heard of Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon? Oh yes. No. Okay, have you heard of Far Cry 3? Yes. Okay, so the developers of Far Cry 3 um which I did play, it was a great game, not something that I would describe as short enough to be something that I would kind of say would be a great episode of this show yeah, it was a quote-unquote triple a game pretty it's pretty sure okay i actually kind of lost interest in it before completing the plot which is often my problem with games yeah of that size. and that's i i think you know i i felt a little lot the same way about it uh because i found it a little bit too grindy because that you know you'd move from mm-hmm. little base to little base killing identical dudes uh and uh collecting yeah many collectibles there's like, a crafting system yeah etc. Yeah, it really typified what I think of as uh, the kind of things that this show is not about. <laughs> it did that well, you know, I mean, in terms of, the, you know, keeping it grounded in first-person shooter action, which was essentially constant. I think that that just served to break it up a little bit. Anyway, setting that whole game aside, they took essentially that game, made a smaller, more condensed version of it that was completely re imagined as not a guy on an island fighting with uh, crazy people, uh, but a a super soldier on an island fighting with crazy people in a 1980s movie. I would probably place it more 90s. I definitely would firmly ground it in the 80s. It's a game where, like, all the cutscenes are done in the style of, like, a... the sort of cutscenes you'd see in an SNES game. I might be misremembering, but I could, I'd swear to God, he talks about president Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) They still Uh, talked about Reagan in the nineties. Yeah. But, uh, it's, uh, it's that kind of thing back. Um, back in the day, you had these hard hitting action movies where like the super high tech sci-fi action movie looked kind of like it was just somebody took, a normal library and duct taped glow sticks everywhere. <laughs> and that's yeah. the, that's the design ethos. That's the design style of this game. Like it's awesome. It's great. And it takes all the great gameplay elements of the, of the original game, which is, you know, you moving from little encampment to little encampment all over this island, butchering people with guns. And it gives you much more powerful guns. Uh, it gives you all these biological enhancements and the the island is covered in the titular blood dragons, which are just these gigantic blood dragons. <laughs> that have ah, ah, fine description, sir. That are like neon glowy laser dragons. It's great. I mean, it, that adds this whole element where you can like 
tear the cyber hearts out of your cyber enemies and throw them to attract Always the important. blood dragons. <laughs> Always important. The more and... cyber hearts I can pull, the better. <laughs> How long did it take you to complete this game? It took me 15 hours to complete this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's a little outside what I'd consider our scope, but that's that's the kind that's, that's close. great. But that was with yeah. a fair bit of screwing around, frankly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, that's I enjoyed, you know, taking on these things in new ways and, like, you know, playing around with the different weapon sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has no plot worth really going into, but it does have a plot <laughs> that was entertaining and moved the story along. Uh, and just for the just for the super over-the-top colorfulness of this game, I, I would encourage people to check it out. Cool. Uh, where could they find it? I picked it up off of Steam as part of a kind of a two-pack uh, with Call of Juarez. It was one of the... Um, one of the first Steam deals that I that I snapped up uh, this year. Uh, it's, um, I think that deal might still be going on. I, I put about seven hours into Call of Juarez before giving up on it. I guess I didn't really like the uh, uh, the gunslinger first person shooter as much as I liked the blood dragon first person so shooter. Not enough blood dragons in Call of Juarez. Not enough lasers, uh not enough uh weird scientists getting their hearts ripped out with my <laughs> big mechanical hand. Yeah, n- all of the above. Okay. Well, it sounds pretty appealing. Um I'm definitely going to check that out. And I I have seen some trailers and things for it, but it's not been one that I've had high on my list, but that's uh that sounds appealing now that you mention it. Yeah, I just I looked it up. Uh twenty four ninety nine gets you those two games. Oh wow, that's not get, a bad deal. You can get uh the Blood Dragon for just fourteen ninety nine. Fifteen bucks, that's great. Yep. Oh, uh speaking of cheap games, something just to follow up on a previous episode, uh Caro Blaster, the uh new shooter platformer by uh the developer of Cave Story, is now out on both PC and and iPhone. I know that's a weird combination, but apparently it plays pretty well on the iPhone. Uh, I think maybe the PC version would be the version to get, though, if you're wanting, uh, you know, physical controls. But um, it's out on the iPhone. I think it's five bucks, and it's out on PC. I think for ten. Although unfortunately, not yet through Steam. It's something you'd be buying through the developer's website. I have not played it yet, but I'm hoping to get a chance to do that soon. Came out just a couple of days ago, and it looks pretty neat. Awesome. Yeah. So far, it seems to be getting pretty good reviews. I went and I looked this game up, and I was very disappointed by the fact that it is available for the iPhone, but not the iPad. I agree, because I actually really prefer playing... On iOS, I really prefer the iPad. It's just better for games. The iPhone is tiny. It's getting bigger. That's what you think. (laughs) MacRumors.com. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, www.macrumors.theshortgame.net For more details on upcoming Apple product releases, visit MacRumors.com. So, we are not sponsored by MacRumors.com. No, uh, we are certainly not. (laughs) I also, uh, you know, I've been playing FTL like crazy, and I'm in this weird problem where all I've been trying to do is unlock ships, and... I keep not wanting to give up on my runs when it's obviously not going to be a run that will allow me to unlock ships. So I just keep playing these games and like making it really deep, which sounds like I'm complaining, which I'm not, but I keep making it like, you know, a full run to win the game is like two and a half, three hours. And so I keep making it pretty far and not really accomplishing what I'm going for. 
So that's where a lot of my gaming time has been too. Still on the FTL. Yeah, I turned a friend onto this game, uh, FTL, and I saw her um, this Sunday when I came over to her house to uh, watch Game of Thrones because uh, she, she's got HBO Go and I do not. Shout out to Lily if you're out there and listening. I know she's heard at least one episode of this show. Uh, I hate you because she has unlocked in the week since I told her about this game, she has unlocked more ships than I have ever unlocked. <laughs> and there's a lot of random, there's a lot of, and that's what I'm running into. Some of the harder ships, the crystal ship, the mantis ship take a, just basically getting lucky on a set of random number generated stuff. And that's what I keep going for is these more difficult random ones. And I just have been getting really unlucky, but I'm also have become relatively good at the game. So I generally make it to at least the sixth or the seventh sector every time. And yeah, that's going to take a lot fun. of time. Yeah, it's fun, but it's not what I'm going like. I, I'm not actively trying to win, but I also, you know, you get a pretty good ship going. I'm not just going to stop. Yeah. So, All right. This is my burden. This is my cross to bear. You poor thing. Well, you know, <laughs> I gotta try and save the galaxy. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's chat about VVV. VVV. I'd be happy to try talk about VVVV. VV. <laughs> I knew you. I knew you wouldn't let it go. Um, I knew you'd have to make sure I had the right number of V's. six v's uh also known as v6 or 6v or the letter w w w uh yeah people uh, do sometimes call it www but that is incorrect <laughs> there's a parody game called mmm <laughs> i did not oh that. my goodness i didn't realize this game was so popular as to attract parody uh but it's a game in the style of the sort of game that you would have played on an extremely retro system like a Commodore 64. It's... Pre-NES like, style graphics. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's... I believe it was originally a Flash game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So the, most the developer, Terry Cavanaugh, Terry Cavanaugh he's... Flash. For the most part, yeah, he's a Flash developer. Uh, uh, but this was his first big... Uh, commercial success. It's uh, against the work of all one man, uh, except I believe the soundtrack. Do you have some partner on the soundtrack? It's a little more complex. The soundtrack is by uh, notable uh, chiptune musician Magnus, I think it's Palson, uh, also known as Soul Eye. So, uh, you know, very, very, very good soundtrack. One of my favorite chiptune soundtracks of ever i think it's a yeah. terrific soundtrack it's great it's very much it reminded me of the ftl soundtrack a lot yeah, really awesome. with a little with a little bit more uh adventure behind it actually uh molly my girlfriend thought that i had been playing ftl uh based off of the music mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if you want to check out the yeah. album you can find it under the title p p p p p 
<laughs> is that true? Yes, that is true. <laughs> that is true. That's funny. And uh, so the 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 game the, what the uh, kind of the idea the core of the game is it's a puzzle platformer where uh, rather than having any ability to jump uh, whatsoever, you just have a gl- a gravity flipping mechanic. So you know you can't jump over a tiny tiny step, but you can flip and land on the ceiling and back. Uh, stylistically, the game looks a whole lot like uh, games that I never had a chance to play because they are so far retro. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about games like Adventure uh, on the Atari or... Um, Pitfall. Pitfall, thank you. I was mm-hmm. trying to think of Pitfall. It, the graphics uh, do definitely remind me of that style of mm-hmm. game. Very limited uh, color palette, usually only mm-hmm. two or three colors on screen at a time. Yep. Uh, it's very visually like a Commodore 64 game or something on the uh, ZX Spectrum, probably the things it would most visually re- uh, resemble. Yeah, I, I read an interview with uh, with the developer of this, and, and he was saying um, that his idea for the game kind of came from the fact that he, in other kind of platform games... He always really liked the gravity flipping mechanic. It's something that when I first played the game, I was like, oh, it, it's that. That makes sense to me right away. I've seen it in several games. Yeah, but usually it's something uh, like one level yeah, or... Exactly. Yeah. Or in Thomas Was Alone, there was the one block that did it. Yeah. And um, he was, you know, started it off as like a short little side project, uh, you know, done to just to scratch his retro love itch. And he sort of approached it just by... You know, saying, oh, I can't, you know, maybe I'm not that artistic. I can't make a game that looks super great, but uh, I can kind of work within the narrow limits of these games that I really loved when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, if, I, if I set myself, uh, so he, he set, for example, he set himself a limit for the game. You mentioned like a limited color palette. Uh, every, all the tiles for every room have just five shades of one color and the colors and patterns change as you move throughout the game. Um, what I haven't talked about so far is kind of the story of the game. Uh, Nate, you played it most successfully, so you have the best understanding of the beginning, middle, and end of this epic arc of a plot, right? So can you tell yeah. us the story of the the V game? I'll say, first of all, the story, unlike a lot of our games, was not really the driving factor of the game, at least yeah. for me. Um, it was more my like need to complete these puzzles, but it it still had a relatively interesting story. It keeps it you moving through the game, yeah. And well, and it does a good job of having the objectives being based around the story. So it's certainly a major part of the game. I just won't say that like, unlike Thomas was alone, where the the story is what drove me to continue playing. Uh, this one had a story that just kind of served the mechanics of the game. But anyway, you're the captain and. Something happens with your ship, like dimensional warp gate screws up, and you and your five crew members get scattered across the map. And then you as the captain, it's your job to find and rescue each of your crew members. And they all have kind of different characters, and they all have different roles. And as you find them, some of them you have to escort back to a teleporter. Some of them, you're like right there at a teleporter. And that's the core of the game, is finding your crew members. And the game does have a pretty large map. 
in that way about those character oh sorry to interrupt about those characters uh you should say they all have v names and that's the reason oh. that the game is called v v v v v v because yes, there are there six are... of them and they're named Absolutely. like Ver- i can't remember veronica and viridian and verulian and vermouth and <laughs> i do Vagina. know the one that w- i forget the name of the green one but the he's a his name is an obscure type of the color green so a little bit of thought went into it i think i think i have to i have to find these names so that we can read them out into the uh into the show wikipedia okay so there's uh you're you are captain viridian there's a dr violet dr victoria officer vermilion professor vitillary and chef or sorry chief (laughs) (laughs) you do not call him chef sir (laughs) so great names and actually you know not a lot of characterization all you're getting is very short passages of text in terms of dialogue but um uh, it being uh, being a video gamer i am used to the go and rescue the blank uh scenario and i think that that was enough to keep me moving through the game particularly when you got to see the map to the game which you filled in as you explored and actually it kind of had a a little bit of a feel of a metroidvania game even in the exploration even if it had none of the leveling up of your character. You know, your character never changes in abilities. Only you get better at this game. Um, yeah, that was actually, something I th- thought was interesting about the game. So go ahead, Nate. Just the exploration part of it, really, I was not expecting. I knew a little bit about the game going into it. I knew that it was very difficult, and it was mostly, you know, Twitch-based or just... I don't know if Twitch is exactly the right word because I think of Twitch and I think of like Call of Duty and stuff like that. But I think the way that I would put it is that it is a game that requires real precision and great mastery of the mechanics. So okay. it's constantly yeah. building. It has that one core gravity flipping mechanic, and that's your only interaction. But as it layers in new types of obstacles for you to get around, new types of dangerous things that will instantly kill you um you're constantly having to get slightly better and better and better at using that gravity flipping mechanic to get around through the different rooms can i be honest with you guys for a second um i thought and i still believe that this might be part of it and it's probably double meaning but until i had never thought about the fact that they all had v's in their names and vvv vvv was based off of that i thought rather that the core bad guy of this game is spikes mm-hmm. that all look like little V's. <laughs> so uh, I think it's probably, I think a that makes meaning. perfect sense. And I actually, if you go to, there's a great little wiki about this game and there are at least six competing ideas about what the name means. So, and that's one of them listed. So I absolutely think that's valid. I feel like that's where it started. It valid, from, valid, 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 valid. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's where the name started from. And he decided to name all of them after V's after I think so. It um, but yeah, the explore, exploratory nature of it was was surprising to me because it starts out and you just kind of work your way through a puzzle 
or through a you know a couple parts of the map and then it opens up and you see the whole world or you see that you have to explore the whole world mm-hmm. and that caught me entirely off guard in fact so much so that i didn't realize it at first that it was actually up to me to decide which way to go and you kind of jump out of the ship it doesn't look like a ship but it's basically just one of the rooms you kind of fall out of it and you just keep falling down and then i hit space bar which moved me up and i went right back up to where i had fallen down from and then i went back down over to the right and pressed up and i ended up doing this like kind of strange circle like thinking where do i go next what should i be doing right here this is no there's nothing like guiding me through and that's when i finally looked at the map and i was like okay obviously i have to decide which way i want to go and it took me a moment to put that together and i thought that was a really interesting way to handle a game like this Mm -hmm. Uh, it gives you a lot of freedom but within pretty tight control because there are some things that are just too hard to tackle early on in the game uh so as you but i think actually did a really good job of routing you towards the things that were good to do in a sensible order so, See, I, I don't know that I 100% agree with that because one of the very first things I found was something that I still never have been able to complete. And maybe I just got lost and had a hard time, you know, got completely turned around from the normal path. But I came across an incredibly difficult room that even had a little – there's little terminals that are that are kind of thrown across the, the map that just kind of give some flavor text. And this one said – don't bother here. No one's ever going to make it anyway. And I <laughs> died a ton. What a ton. challenge. Yeah, I died a ton. Uh, there's 20 trinkets that are in difficult to locate spots. And I found Psy one of them. Th- collectibles. Yeah. Was that and- the one? Uh, I'm sorry. Was that the one that was Vini Vidi Vici? I think Where you so. fall. You have to go through, like, fall up through like three rooms to get and then fall back down through like three rooms just to get over a tiny block that's exactly it okay because i knew exactly when you were saying that i knew exactly the one you're talking about because i hated that part of the game so much i tried it a bunch of times and i never even got all the way to the top to start falling back down and just to explain what you mean by vidi vini vidi vici every room in the game first of all the map is divided into many equally sized rooms, you know, one screen at a time. And unlike most platformers or really most video games, uh, you don't scroll as you move from place to place. The view doesn't follow the character. You move from one side of the screen to the other, and if you exit the screen, then you are coming onto the screen in the next screen. So the game is played in a very similar way to a lot of older games that didn't have that scrolling background option for technical uh, reasons or technical limitations. But here they use that to kind of isolate individual problems or puzzles on a much larger map. And usually you have to sort of pass through one puzzle to get onto the next room. Uh, And every single room gets a name. And usually the names are really clever or jokey or give you some kind of a clue as to what you need to do in order to, to actually complete the puzzle in the in the room. Uh, I actually thought the names of the rooms was one of the most charming things about the game and kind of kind of added a little bit of interest to each individual puzzle room. Yeah, I yeah. heard that the uh, that the developer actually himself was not the one that named the rooms that it was uh, it was a guy named Bennett Foddy, who was the developer of Quop. Oh, really? 
Really? Yes. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, he did the naming. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Quap yeah, actually has a similar level of difficulty to this <laughs> in some ways. Oh, it depends on what you mean by difficulty, I yeah. guess. This... No, Quap is impossible. A very different sort of difficulty. I beat this game. I cannot make it more than like a meter in Quap. Yeah. You cannot <laughs> remain vertical. <laughs> yeah. structure that kind of involves progressing through a wide open map that is also simultaneously divided into tiny uh, individual puzzles Uh, and you're kind of exploring the game and finding all of your goals and hopefully collecting trinkets along the way Um, but as you play you're going to be dying again and again and again and again and again and that's the thing that I think is really key to the way that this game manages to match its difficulty with some balance and fairness and not feel like an unfair game. Um, It's nonstop. I mean, we talked about it at the start of the show. I died a thousand times. Yeah. A thousand times in three hours. What other game can you think of where you've died a thousand times? Mm -hmm. The game that I most relate this back to is actually uh, Super Meat Boy, which actually came after this game. Um, but uh, Super Meat Boy, I did, didn't do as much for me as this game did because there are many, many, many checkpoints in this game, usually multiple checkpoints on every single individual room screen. And that allows you to die again and again and again and again and again on a difficult moment. And then when you get past it, you're immediately at another checkpoint again and you can start working on the next room or puzzle. And I thought that it was really... That's the thing that I think this game balanced incredibly well, was while it is a brutal game in terms of just mechanical difficulty, this game asks a lot of you. It also is incredibly fair. It never seems to punish you for failing at a task. It will always just say, no problem, here you are right back at the beginning of that again, not too far back from where you were just seconds ago, and you can jump right back into what you were trying to do within a second or two of having died. Yeah, and that's what led to it's both a blessing and a curse because you like you immediately respawn back where your checkpoint was, and so much so we're like one of them will have you be running and you have to like hit space to go to the roof when there's a row of spikes right below, and I will be holding over, you know, holding right to do that and i'll mess up and fall into the spikes my guy respawns and i'm still holding right and i'm like i got this and i run right back into the spikes and I'm like, <laughs> nope i got it this time and i run right back into the spikes and you die rapid fire and you have to slow down and be like hold on let me take my time with this and try to accomplish it but it's so easy to just like russian warfront where you just keep like not even taking your time just running into it and that's probably probably four to five hundred of my one thousand deaths no exaggeration were from no they were not even a legitimate attempt it was me dying almost immediately upon spawning and just 
like failing to hit the space bar because I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm just like, go, go, go. Just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. You realize that the, the number of deaths isn't like your your high score. I think that's game, how I treated right? it. Every time I died, I was like, dang it. I want I did consider it a little bit of a uh, of an achievement when I looked and realized that in the two and a half hours that it took me to reach the final level, I'm still on that final level, uh, I had died 1,056 times, which wow. is, you know... <laughs> A lot of bodies, a lot of bodies. See, and I feel a personal BB, accomplishment. BB, BB. I feel a personal accomplishment based on the fact that I beat it while having less deaths than Reagan, and he has not beat it yet. I hate you. So, yeah. So the game has this really interesting structure, which ties it both visually and in terms of its difficulty back to these older games. Um, specifically, actually, we didn't talk too much about the games that Terry Cavanaugh has said he specifically drew his inspiration from. Uh, but something kind of fascinating about this game is that uh, it really goes right back to games on the Commodore 64, and specifically a really, really important game called Jet Set Willy. Jet Set Willy is another game that has this same kind of structure where you are playing through individual room screens, each one of which is kind of a puzzle in and of itself. It's a much slower pace. It's worth looking it up on, on the web, but it was a game that originally came out also sometimes called Manic Miner he, on the He ZX actually Spectrum. said in an interview that he had never played Jet Set Willy, the developer. Well, there goes Reagan's entire... There goes Reagan's whole, <laughs> whole thing. He did, No, Shane, I actually read the same interview that you did, and he did not say that he had never played Jet Set Willy. He said that he had never owned a ZX Spectrum. A ZX Spectrum is the first computer that the Jet Set Willy game came out on, but he owned a Commodore 64, and there were innumerable games based on Jet Set Willy on the Commodore 64, including a port of Jet Set Willy itself, but also many, many other games on the same sort of theme or style. This was a time in Britain uh, where the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64 were becoming enormously popular, and there was a huge video game scene for them that we just really never saw uh, on this side of the Atlantic. Um, and uh, Jet Set Willy, Manic Miner, and innumerable other games based on it sort of made the core of that scene, and those are the games that this game is based on. Um, the... Uh, Kind of an interesting side note, by the way, while I was while I was researching this, was I looked up some video of uh, Jet Set Willy on the Commodore 64, and really visually it does have a lot kind of going on that looks a lot like this game. Um, but something that I noticed that I looked into and thought was a real surprise was that when you look up Jet Set Willy for the Commodore 64, which was a port of the ZX Spectrum version, not the original developer, but the, the developer of the port was Saheed Ahmed. Uh, who is actually still active in games today, and he works as the senior business development manager at Sony. I've heard a lot of interviews with him recently. He's still working uh, because he is responsible for bringing indie games to the PlayStation 3, 4, and Vita. He's sort of their, their developer relations consultant. Kind of an unrelated side note, but if you want to hear a really interesting interview with Saheed Ahmed, uh, one of my favorite video game podcasts, Directional, had him on, I think it was in their fourth or fifth or some episode, and it's absolutely great. He talks about his experience as a bedroom coder in the early 80s in England. He talks about his uh, and working on the game Jet Set Willy. He also talks a little bit about what it's like to work within a big company like Sony and 
trying to reach out to indie developers and make it easy for them to bring their great games to his platform. Really, a really interesting interview and a really interesting guy. And just thought of an interesting connection. And uh, as a connection to VVVVVV, VVVVVV is being ported to a lot of new platforms this year. Currently, you'll find VVVVVV on uh, Linux, Windows, and Mac and also on the Nintendo 3DS eShop. But you'll also be seeing it coming out this year on the PlayStation 4, the PS Vita, Android, the Ouya, and also on iOS, where it's going to have a touchscreen-based controls, which I actually saw a video on the web of somebody playing it using these touchscreen controls, and it actually works. So, yeah, it's a game with a lot of future to it. Even though it's it is a few years imagine, old, but so it's hard the for video, me to imagine. I saw the same video that, as Reagan. It is hard for me to imagine as well. But this video shows an actual human being holding a real iPad, using touchscreen controls to beat that same room that we were talking about just a minute ago. Vini Vidi Vici. Vini Vidi Vici. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I. I mean, I. I agree. I believe you that that exists. But yeah. I'm not convinced. How many takes? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> 200. Uh, probably... One thing I wanted to uh, throw out to you guys, and I don't really have an opinion one way or the other, but I, one thing I was thinking about while playing this game is that, you know, maybe five to seven years ago, this would be a free game on like Newgrounds or, or any of those style it's websites. kind of where it started. And now it's a $5 <laughs> game on Steam. I think that's an interesting progression of yeah. games like this. I think it's great that indie developers are able to market and sell their work now. And I think it's part of the reason that we're seeing so many great indie games uh, coming out with such quality. Really, people can afford now to spend two years of their life pouring their heart and soul into a great little game uh, and put it out into the world and not run themselves into bankruptcy doing it, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, there was advertising back then too if you had a really popular game on those websites you were making some money it's yes. it's been an interesting uh development though but I, I think it really like you're saying it does speak to the popularity or the growing popularity of games like this and kind of why we exist why we're doing this mm-hmm. whole thing absolutely um i think it's definitely a good thing for the developers it is just interesting to see something go from free and you know played in a browser to distributed through steam Mm -hmm. and on the ds and on ipad and all that you're absolutely right and this is actually a really great example of a sort of a transitional game for that it really sort of rides the early wave of indie games as a market as a as an ability as a place where people can make a living uh terry cavanaugh started off making flash games for places like congregate.com and uh, and he wrote a lot of really cool stuff there. And a lot of his games were less, because he was not make, in, intending them to make money, a lot of them were things that weren't very marketable, things like sort of games as art type projects. But when he started creating this game, he knew he wanted to market it. He knew he, he was putting uh, enough effort into it that he wanted to make money on it and, and sell it as a product. Um, but it was originally developed as a Flash game. He was still working in that mode. And the very first version of this game were released on websites as a Flash game. Uh, later, that version got essentially tossed out and rewritten because when he wanted to release it 
to a wider audience, he knew that it needed to move beyond Flash, and particularly if he was going to release a Linux port, which he initially had planned to do and then wasn't able to do using his Flash-based version of the game. Um, and he was required, essentially, to have a Linux version of the game because he wanted to include it in Humble Bundle 3, uh, which is where I picked up the game initially. Humble Bundles have been an amazing force in and of themselves for indie games. But he wanted to put the game out as a part of Humble Bundle 3, and in order to do that, he had to have a Linux version. What an amazing requirement, little catch that hum that uh, that the Humble Bundles have included. And in order to do that, it needed to be rewritten from the ground up in C++. So he worked with another developer, Simon Roth, uh, to bring that game over to... Uh, Linux, and in the process, rewrote it entirely in C++, which has also meant that the game could then be widely ported. That's why we ended up with the version on the 3DS, and that's why we're ending up with versions on all these other platforms, because it's been able to be ported even to uh, you know all sorts of other devices. So what started out as a simple Flash game has, uh, in early 2010, has come to, over the last few years, be available on a zillion platforms. Yeah, it's basically on everything. So if you haven't played it, you have no excuse any longer. Mm -hmm. And it's super cheap. Five bucks. He's still, though, uh, he's still making uh, Flash games, though. I think that's still his preferred way to develop games. Mm -hmm. I, I was on his site, and I spotted a... Um, uh, he made a... Uh, what's described as a Flappy Birds fan game, hmm. which I wound up spending all too too much time playing. Um I, you know, this is an utter sidebar, but, you know, I, I've found Flappy Birds to be just so ridiculous in its po in both its popularity and just its horrible, horrible gameplay. But don't get me started. I have all kinds of opinions it. about Flappy Bird. <laughs> yeah, I will not get you started. But this guy managed to make a very enjoyable take on Flappy Birds, uh, you know, and, and it really kind of showed his kind of style. Uh, you know, it kind of played like the Flappy Birds version of Super Hexagon, and um, yeah, it's so it's a, and it's a great little flash game. You play it right there on uh, on his website. Mm And I have to say, we've been talking about how difficult this game is and how frustrating it can be. I had I can't remember a game lately that I've had a more like physical like like excitement oh after, my God. Compl after completing a certain puzzle because it's so fast when you actually complete a certain challenge, if you will, it's <laughs> like seconds. I mean, you die you know 30 times trying to do one thing that once you complete it it was maybe a two to three second interaction mm -hmm. and i would complete it land safely wherever i'm trying to land and just like 
like convulse with excitement <laughs> and then you'd get to a checkpoint and then immediately die again. <laughs> yeah i almost liken it to something more physical like uh like dunking basketballs you know if you were standing in a wait 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 you don't know anything about dunking basketballs Tell us about dunking basketballs, Reagan. It's like what I imagine dunking basketballs might be like if that were a thing that I had ever done. Because you're you're trying again and again and again with something, and then suddenly you get it in. The fact that you say it that way makes me know that you've never dunked a basketball. <laughs> you've never even set foot on a basketball court. You have humbled me. But I, I feel like it's a it's a... It's a physical thing. You're practicing a physical skill with each and every level of this game. And suddenly, when you perfect that skill, it is a complete moment of explosive excitement. So, it's like having an orgasm. Is that something that we could possibly Ew. believe that I've ever had? No. Okay. no. Still no. Okay. So, not, no basketballs and never an orgasm. Got it. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible game. And just the, the physical nature of it is is something really unlike anything else i've ever this played. is making me really uncomfortable to hear from you so i'm just <laughs> gonna have to change the subject um so uh where can people play this game guys well we've been talking about that. we did kind of it's available on steam but i don't actually, know what just if you're gonna pick up this game why not grab it from the humble store it's available on the humble store uh, which gives you a Steam copy of the game. Sometimes they have a little cheaper price than Steam. You get a DRM-free copy in, in addition to that, and a little bit of your, uh, of your money goes to charity. I've been getting in the habit of, if I'm buying a game and I think it might be available on the Humble Store, I'll check there first, because usually you're kind of getting a better deal. You get the DRM-free aspect, you get to know that a little bit of your money goes to charity, and um, you still get that Steam key if that's how you prefer to store and kind of browse your library i i actually have a question for you guys that i've just remembered uh, i wanted to ask <laughs> the style of this game we talked a lot about the sort of commodore 64e style of the game but there are elements that you would never have seen in a commodore 64 game most notably some of the bizarre enemies and level decorations good point we really didn't talk about some of the weird stuff in this game because this game really has it's some really weird stuff like the big flashy elephant room oh my god yes <laughs> can the we finally talk about the elephant in the room okay so uh, perhaps we should fire a spoiler actually i don't think we need to there's i don't really, think so it's I just weird stuff so yeah to be spoiled about i, I don't game. think there's anything about this game that really is subject to spoilers with perhaps the exception of the very end of the game and even hey that guys at the I end think... you save everyone <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like we already talked about that yeah. just by the description this game is not about any of that it's not game about, is a about story. mastering the mechanics so the story is good. It's it's, it's fine. You know, it's it's fine. It's the characters fine. can the characters can be kind of funny sometimes. Some the of the dialogue, dialogue is be, cute. Yeah, but it's really it's better than a lot of games that rely on you know mechanics. But it doesn't really matter. That's where I sort of compare it to a game like Super Meat Boy because Super Meat Boy also had that dying a hundred times to complete one tiny task. Uh, sort of explosive uh really high level of mastery required to progress kind of thing but super meat boy it, it had even less plot than this and also it 
didn't feel as fair with its sort of checkpoints and things. I think what kept me moving through this game, I, I might put this game down for a day or an hour or a or a week if I was truly stuck. But I would come back to it again because I did, at my heart, want to save all the crew members and complete the game. And part of that came from the writing in the story, even as simple as it was. Yeah. It was it was enough. Mm-hmm. It was I, perfectly. Adequate. I played I played Super Meat Boy for about forty five minutes, and I just wasn't that interested. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't know. get into it as I played more than that, but I it it got too punishing too quickly, and it didn't feel fair the way this yeah. game feels. This game I started last night, and we're talking about it tonight, mm-hmm. and I'm the only one who's beat it. Just want to make sure we <laughs> still hate you. Remembers that still yeah. hate you. You know. I feel like I'm better than you guys. Yeah. You are. Also, you know. I never claim to be good at games. I just like talking about them. Yeah. Actually, generally, I'm not very good at games. But this game, for whatever reason, out of the gates, I felt like I was pretty good at Mm. it. The very first time I played this game, I did not get very far with it at all. Uh, This most recent time that I played it, I actually picked it up on the 3DS. Because I actually think the 3DS version is a great version of the game. It makes sense. Uh, I bet it, it, it... totally adapts itself well to a handheld device with a d-pad and buttons i still don't believe that it'll be good on mobile device we'll see i'm really excited to try it on the ipad i'll probably buy it there and i'll probably play it almost all the way to the end yeah i, I mean i will it. too <laughs> you know i'm sitting here i'm sitting here like uh, you know I, i'm probably gonna get it and play it well so. as far as the controls are concerned what i saw in the video of them playing it on a touch screen actually kind of seemed a little bit innovative essentially Uh, You would tap the right-hand side of the screen to move to the right, the left-hand side of the screen to the left, or rather than try to have some kind of on-screen button for the flipping, that's just too hard in a game that is is this twitchy, uh, it would do the flip mechanic if you tapped both the left and the right at the same time. So they managed to essentially retool the game so that its controls essentially only involved two buttons instead of three. And I think that actually could work. That makes sense to me, but... Man, this game is so specific with your movements. I just can't imagine how anyone will be good at it. But <laughs> hey, I trust the developers. If they if they're going for it and they think people will like it and enjoy it, then by all means, yeah, they should do. However, it. I think the game's going to be really stunning on the Vita. I think that's a great platform for it. And the Vita yeah, we is know you a love great. The Vita. I don't own one. I don't love. Oh the Vita. wait, I'm sorry. I'm but sorry. I was thinking of your Nvidia Shield. I love the Nvidia Shield. <laughs> it is coming out for Android, and I'll be buying it for my Nvidia Shield. Definitely see you there um so yeah it's coming out on a lot of great platforms and um i think it's got more of a future to it we kind of i I think that that the once these ports are out that terry the developer is you know i'm i know terry pretty well i don't yeah on a first name basis i'm pretty sure he's kind of done with the game after it's out on these new platforms but there are uh fan-made levels for the game it's got a level designer and there's there's more to it if you want to complete the game and go any further with it that said it's a great self-contained experience and even i having never completed the game felt like i got a really complete experience i got as far as that final level and then i watched the last eight screens on youtube the ones i wasn't able to get past just do it i i don't know i there was there's one part at the end that's really really difficult i had way more problems like in the middle the gravitron took me oh my god the gravitron Oh my god, you just gave me a total like nom flashback. 
Yeah. The Gravitron was that. I level. don't remember the Gravitron. Oh so my god! I know it's been a while since I played this game, but the Gravitron oh, is the me. level where. So one of the mechanics in the game is that there are these sort of lines or little force. Oh, field the flippy lines, lines. Yeah. That when you hit them, if you fall into them, you don't stop. You reverse direction. And the Gravitron was a level where essentially they put two of those lines so that you couldn't stop yes. your character. You're oh, only ever yeah. bouncing up and down. And you couldn't control the speed at which you were bouncing up and down. So all you had control over at that point was your left to right movement as your character kind of bounced up and down. And then through this sort of tunnel that you were sort of forced to bounce in for a certain period of time, these little random little boxes would fly through. And if you touched any one of them you would you were dead and do you remember how long you had to stay alive in I the gravitron just yeah i did seconds it or something. i did it this morning so you had one minute to survive now fortunately as we talked about this game does have give you a little bit of breathing room every five seconds you survived was considered a checkpoint yeah so you could kind of pick back up from that five second but this mark. was like surviving for five seconds while dancing through buckshot fired at you from a shotgun it's yeah impossible so every time i survived for another five seconds i felt like it was an enormous triumph surviving five seconds in the gravitron was like something out of a horror movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was it was brutal absolutely and the the trick that i i finally i remember now in this was like if you just flee from the items were kind of moving around in these bizarre patterns. If you would flee from them for just a moment, you could get your, hopefully get your bouncing rhythm to line up with theirs a little bit so that you could make it past them. But it seemed to be so almost random. It was was so deadly. Mm. Something that we didn't really talk about about the direction, the gravity switching mechanic that's really important to the difficulty of a game is that once you switch the gravity, you couldn't switch it again until you stopped, until you hit something. So if I was standing on something and I reverse the gravity and start falling upwards, I'm not going to be able to reverse the gravity and come back down until I hit the ceiling, no matter where that ceiling is. And that's part of what made a lot of these levels so difficult was that sure it'd be really easy if i could drop down and then reverse the direction and drop back up again or vice versa but not being able to switch the gravity at will at all times only being able to switch it when you're stopped or when you're stopped on a surface really added to the difficulty of a lot of the games and really made the puzzles sort of work because a lot of them would have been just too easy otherwise yeah, absolutely. And it led to really funny things where you hit space and you're like, ah, oh, crap, and you fly up like eight rooms because the, the area that you can explore is pretty big and you just float upside <laughs> down. you fall endlessly yep. until finally you hit something and you're like, oh, I didn't know this was here. So it's a kind of a good way to explore the game. So those weird things we were talking about, the Gravitron was a great level, that, but I, I wouldn't say it was one of the weird aspects of the game. Um, sorry, we, we kind of left that hanging talking about the weird stuff. I just really remember, um, there was a, there was a room where the enemies were like the word, just words. Oh yeah. There's a string of places where the enemies, they're bad. And I say enemies, mainly it's just like dangerous things flying around near you. They move in some sort of pattern. They're not, 
they don't really seem to have any animosity to me. They were just extremely deadly to touch. Yeah, nothing ever comes but, and attacks you. It's more that you're moving through an obstacle course made up of yeah. little moving creatures. Yeah, yeah there'd like, be a lot of words. The word truth is like flying mm-hmm. around. In the next screen, the word lies is flying around. Mm-hmm. Or yes. Or the little yeah. y- yes men that were little like men with yes printed on them. Or avoid. <laughs> Straight to the point. Thanks for that yeah. label. Yeah, little hearts uh, breaking in half. Oh, geez. The heartbreaker levels were horrible. Yeah, that was near the end. Yeah, those were really hard. And, um, of course, there's the omnipresent spikes, which weren't weird. They were, you know, you instantly understand what spikes are all about. But there were spikes everywhere. Like, most of the surfaces in the game are covered with spikes. Yeah, and you're just maneuvering your way in between Mm -hmm. and one of the very strangest moments in the game that we already talked about just a few minutes ago was that there is a very very large elephant that's actually so large that it spans four separate rooms that's flashing in a multiple sort of color pattern Um, it's kind of a disco elephant yeah and it's crying it is it has a little tear coming down its cheek and if you stand next to it for more than a few seconds uh viridian also sort of looks sad and starts crying um, interesting thing about that, uh, no one's really sure exactly what it is, but it's it's widely expected that it is actually a deliberate reference to Jet Set Willy. There was a uh, there was a elephant room in Jet Set Willy um, that I've seen photos of, and while the elephant is significantly smaller, it is very similar in its sort of position and and everything. I feel like that's got to be it then. <laughs> yeah. It's probably just a reference to Jet Set Willy, but why is it crying? And um, I don't yeah. know. It's very strange. The, the... It really comes out of nowhere too because there's like no connection with any type of like real world or anything in this game. It may be the, the... only representative image in the game apart from yeah. the characters themselves. But they don't look like people. humans. Yeah, they don't really look like humans though. They look like humans as drawn by an eight-year-old yeah and then you just mario paint stumble upon this weird room where it's a massive disco elephant (laughs) very confusing i loved coming across that it almost felt like i was discovering something secret yeah except it was huge (laughs) but i mean it's kind of in a weird spot it you kind of have to go through a weird set of tubes to get to it yeah the internet (laughs) no that was a terrible laugh um Good yeah, joke, there's guys. nothing else, there's nothing else like it in the game mm-hmm. though. So this game I really truly enjoyed playing this game and I've uh, I would 100% recommend it to anyone. If you are the sort of person who likes the physical aspect of video games, if you like mastering a game, then this is a game for you. If you like games like uh, NES games like Mario or Mega Man and you enjoy the sort of physical mastery that those games require from you and the repetition of new and slightly varied mechanics then this is a game that you would want to check out uh if you like older games from systems like the commodore 64 or the zx spectrum or other things like that then this game's really going to feel right at home for you if you primarily play games for the plot and you like an experience that doesn't demand a lot from you physically or mechanically this may not necessarily be your game but it's still worth a try at just five bucks you can pick this up on steam or the humble store or i forget exactly what it costs but a similar price on the 3ds eShop, and hopefully soon on all those other platforms so one of my top recommendations and 
I think really an important game in the recent history of indie gaming as a sort of commercial landscape. just absolutely play it um, it's hard it's frustrating it's difficult but it, it's so rewarding just getting through these little challenges it, it's it's a ton of fun i had i had a great time playing it even though there were absolutely times i was just like felt like i was beating my head against the wall there's a combination of trying to figure out what it is you have to do and then actually being able to do it mm-hmm. It's it's tricky, but you know, three hours, thousand something deaths. No deal, no. <laughs> it is really just, in a way, just a novelty to play a game that allows you to throw yourself into pits with such infinite speed. You know, I've never seen a game that allowed you to kill yourself six times within Man. a minute. And I, I said it earlier, but I, at least half my deaths were needless deaths, where I just was like, not like not focusing, just like running into spikes over and over and over and if nothing else play it for the amazing soundtrack oh absolutely that oh, was yeah that was such a good part of the it game i had a full blast it, it's fantastic so thanks so much guys for joining me with this latest episode um hopefully we'll be able to come back and talk next week i'm going to be on vacation here for a bit but i'll be back very shortly in about a week and we'll chat about probably our next game uh what's our next game well, we're talking about maybe talking about Outlast. Yeah, that might be fun. Uh, I also, you and I have been playing a lot of Trine too, so that might be something to be fun to talk about. Yeah, that's been a good game. Uh, anything you've got in mind, Nate? Not at the moment. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll have an announcement up on our blog pretty shortly about what our next episode is going to be, or it may already be up by the time that you are listening to this episode. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Cool, man.